0: Greetings and welcome to the Quest for Wisdom podcast, where we search for nuggets of wisdom from the lives of some truly amazing people. Today's guest is Virginia Villar. Virginia is a culture writer, editor, and narrative weaver based in Barcelona. Over the past 15 years, she has passionately explored gender, feminism, and social justice as an activist, journalist, writer, and editor. With a poetic approach, she challenges existing paradigms and delves into the emotional, spiritual, political and logical dimensions of social justice and feminism. Her impactful writing has been featured in Atmos, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, The New York Times, Vice, Let's Explore magazine, World of Topia and numerous notebooks worldwide. Her publication on Substack explores mythology, feminism and ecology through movement, writing and other sensory experiences. She draws inspiration from nature and mystics, and aims to illuminate the power of creativity, inner knowledge, and art in our society. For links to Virginia's work, check the description. Virginia is a passionate human with a big heart, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, welcome, Virginia (laughs) Vigliar, or Vigliar as it's spelled, to the 15th episode of the Quest for Wisdom podcast. How does that make you feel? Special. Special?
1: Yeah, I feel like 15 is a good number.
0: 15 is a good number. We actually had a bit of a mishap on the 13th. It was the first one where it didn't fully record, and we jinxed it before because Remco, the guy I was doing it with, said that it was his unlucky number and we could expect problems, and we did. We missed half the episode. So 15 is a good number. I'm very happy to have you here. Thank Um, you for having
1: me.
0: You're welcome. You are a writer. (laughs) You are an editor. You are a witch. (laughs) And you are a feminist. Yes. Uh, And a human also. Uh,
1: Very much so. And a woman as well. And a woman as well.
0: (laughs) Um, Out of those six things mentioned above, which do you rank top of your hierarchy?
1: Okay, I don't like hierarchies.
0: I thought you might say that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have you read my work? (laughs) I'm joking. Um, I don't know. I think I want to embrace all my multitudes.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I will
1: not give you a higher off.
0: (laughs) Why do you not like hierarchies?
1: Um, Because they're the root of all evil. No, um, they're... Because... I think it's problematic to put things on top of the other and I think like um, a hierarchical, hierarchical mentality is like at the base of all, a lot of the problems that we face right now.
0: How do you structure anything without a hierarchy?
1: I know I've had this discussion with a bunch of friends. Um, I think there's a difference between putting roles within, like, a community or a society and putting people with power over. I feel like that th- that can be avoided. How? By giving roles that show that everyone is used. It's like our body. There's not one more important thing than the other. I feel like our...
0: Well the brain's more important because without the brain, nothing will work, whereas you could live without... An appendix, you okay, can live I without two the, testicles, you can live without, we can live without all testicles. But everything
1: live, has a function.
0: Everything does have a function, but some, they are ranked in order of importance. Because, for example, mm-hmm. your body, when it breaks down, if you starve, for example, the first things that after your body has eaten through all of its fat, then it'll eat through all the muscle, mm-hmm. then it'll start eating through... Um, your, your organ tissue and the first things to eat through are the eyes mm-hmm. because the body considers the eyes the least important of all your organs and That's your your body will actually rank um, your, your body will rank what's most important. and It'll eat things first.
1: I mean, I think we can, we can differentiate and think within a certain type of context where a hierarchy is useful, such as what you just mentioned uh, in the body or, if you think in a society, it's useful. Uh, but I do think that the mindset, the hierarchical mindset that creates binaries can be problematic and is like racism exists because somehow in someone's mind, there's a hierarchy on who's more important. Like, and same with men and women, men over women. I really think that, That's a mindset that we need to, if not reject completely, understand it and understand where it works and where it doesn't work for So
0: where do you think that hierarchies would work?
1: I mean, uh, if you talk about the body, uh, that works, obviously, because it's about functionality. Um, I'm not here to become the president and say how society is supposed to work i'm just here to question the way we think things okay speak up a little bit please Um, yeah
0: but um okay very interesting my i've been trying to understand the whole hierarchy power structure thing Mm -hmm. um and i can see why there are some problems i can see how there are abuses of power i can see how there are hierarchies that maybe are not fair I can see how there are instances of, you know, like, as far as I'm concerned, a hierarchy should be built on meritocracy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you if you succeed really well in your level, you should then be able to move up to the next level. That's the, the theory. But that, that's how I see it. You know, like, mm-hmm. if you do really well at school, you can go to, you know, you, you know if you do really well in one school, you can move up to uh, another school, you can go to a, a good university. If you do really well in that, you can become a professor. If you do really well in that, you can become the head of faculty or whatever. And you become really good at that, then you can become the top of the um, university. You yeah, know, That's just like one random example of that. You know, that's how in my mind, a hierarchy should work. I understand that in not all circumstances, it applies and works exactly like that. But I don't understand the inherent dislike and hate towards hierarchy in general because there are hierarchies throughout you know the the, the example of the body is one thing but throughout nature
1: mm-hmm.
0: everything's like structured hierarchically animals are all structured hierarchically i don't understand how we can break away from that and why we need to
1: but for example you're talking about meritocracy and hierarchy and Uh, What about privilege? What if you are someone that lives in a society and you are more oppressed and therefore you have less chances of success because of just like maybe your race, class, sex, Uh, then, then the hierarchy is not working because only certain people can go up the ladder and others don't have a chance because they don't have certain accessibility to certain things and rights. And stuff like that, so then the problem of privilege can come in,
0: yeah, but you don't have to smash apart a hierarchy mm. in order that doesn't mean that the hierarchy is broken. that means that there are certain people which are struggling to access the hierarchy on an equal level that it's not hierarchies themselves that are broken. I think the hierarchies themselves are one hundred percent necessary and healthy. a hierarchy uh you know the the quote unquote perfect hierarchy. I think is fantastic. But I do get that people are born into a more level of privilege and people start on different levels in the hierarchy. But I don't see how that can be avoided because if you have a society of 8 billion people, you're going to have people who are born at the bottom and you're going to have people who are born at the top. Those bottoms and tops can change. Mm. But that's the way a society mm. is. You have winners and you have losers, unfortunately. And I don't, I don't understand like how... To, to get away from that and I don't understand that I don't understand the hateful hierarchy. I
1: think maybe you're thinking about it in a way that's a bit logical which there's nothing um, there's nothing wrong with that but at the same time like you have to think for example if you think of emotions okay you cannot put a hierarchy on emotions because they can coexist like a lot of emotions can coexist at the same moment okay like i'm not si- like you're looking at it from a societal perspective where oh what are we going to do if we don't have hierarchies how are we going to survive okay i can understand that point but all i'm asking is to just can we think differently and think in a way where multitudes can ho- can be held at the same time where there's non-binarism cuz then it then it goes into like our whole way of thinking in such a like binary way and that's that puts people in danger like that uh it was about to swear <laughs> you can swear if you need <laughs> okay. like it that's that becomes an issue for a lot of people so i think we need to yes we can think of hierarchy and it's this is not a binary uh conversation it's not about like Oh, we either have them or don't have them. We can have them and question them and question them within a context and question the problematics, the fact that like privilege has a, a part to do in whether people get to the top or not. Like that's a truth. We're probably quite privileged people, but there's a lot of people that maybe wouldn't be able to access what we can, and. I don't want to think of a society of like, oh, yeah, we're eight billion people. And so, like, you're either lucky to be poor, uh, to be rich or poor or whatever else. Like, I don't want to think like that. And maybe I'm a bit dreamy and philosophical, but I reject, I reject to think like that because also in nature, there's hierarchies, but there's also a lot of things happening at the same time. There's animals that are both male and female. There's a lot of fluidity, like... It's just the way it is, like, as yeah. well.
0: Yeah, I understand that, but I think that then, like, the the fluidity and 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 that's kind of a separate issue because we have that we have a hierarchy. There are there are always hierarchies, and I totally agree that it doesn't have to be like either there are hierarchies or they're not. It doesn't have to be binary, and there does need to be a solution. And I one hundred percent agree and respect that everything should be questioned. You know, like nothing should be taken for granted. Nothing should be saying like, right, this is the way we do it and that's correct. Like we should always be looking to advance what we're doing and how we're doing it. But my problem, my problem with it is that it, it, the people that are kind of fighting against these hierarchies and power structures, they are doing it in a binary way. They're saying it's kind of like overthrow the patriarchy, overthrow the hierarchy and replace it with something new. So they kind of are acting in a binary way. It's not like, okay, here's a few issues. Here are a few solutions. There are never solutions mentioned. I, I don't, I've not seen any solutions really ever mentioned. It's just like, this is bad. These are the reasons why it's bad. We need to overthrow it and we'll put some utopia in its place. But I never see any, I never see any, what that utopia is. That's, that's my, I don't understand what it is. And I also like, you know, I can be very dreamy and I would love for a world where everybody has equal chances to do everything, but it's not reality. And I don't think it ever will be because in the, in a food chain and in, in a society, you do have you have people who are born with better skills and you have people who are born with, with worse skills. You know, you have people who are born mega intelligent. You have people who are born... Um, you know, like mentally handicapped and those two people are not going to have the same chances to do the same things. And that's a horrible fact of life, but it's just true. And I don't see how you get around that. You can help to mitigate those terrible circumstances for people and you can try and give them the best opportunities that they can have. But the reality is like, not everyone can be a rocket scientist. Not everyone can be a professional footballer. Like people are on different levels in society. That's the way it is.
1: Yeah, but I honestly, I cannot understand the utility of this discourse like what are what are we talking about here i don't understand why we're stopping to think of of the here hierarchies when it comes to like patriarchy and capitalism like the blueprint of how a patriarchy works is sh- shit like it puts men over women it is hierarchical etc etc there are have been societies and I don't want to like talk as an expert because I'm not I'm not a historian but like it hasn't always been like that it a lot of it came through um, religion and European religions Christianity mainly that's how a lot of patriarchal societies came to be but it hasn't always been like that and it doesn't have to always be like that so for me activism and Or, like, feminism or thinking about what is wrong with the society is also an act of imagination. It's not, and you have to imagine for things to get better. So, we're like, there also has to be that creative exercise, and we have to do it, in my opinion. And this doesn't, maybe we don't have all the solutions, but it's okay because if something's not working and if you're oppressed and your life is not dignified because you're on a wheelchair or because you're black or an immigrant, then we, I have to imagine other worlds. And maybe they're not precise, and maybe I'm not giving giving you a presentation of, of things that is like, oh, okay, cool, now we can do it. And I think that's a really also quite an arrogant, masculine way of looking at things, because you can open yourself up to new solutions without having one thing that replaces everything else or thinking like, oh, feminists are just haters of the patriarchy, but they don't have. I really think that it's important to remain open, to remain curious about how things can be and to do that exercise of imagination to imagine how the world can be different. And I can talk about it as like a white privileged woman who's had quite a great life, And I don't know the reality of people that haven't had that because I haven't lived it myself. Maybe I have friends and people that I've worked with that have had it. I've talked to a lot of people, but I think it's really important that we remain open and that we're not here to discuss whether hierarchies should exist or not. But it's also okay to question things and it's also okay to imagine a different world. And I think that's really important because when slavery happened, do you think slaves were imagining that it would ever stop? (laughs) Probably. <laughs> Some of
0: them were, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. There's a really beautiful story of this woman called Harriet. I don't want to say her name wrong. Um,
0: I think another I one you're going to say.
1: Yeah, that she dreamed. <laughs> she had this dream that she, they were free, that she was free. She was a slave. And I don't know. I think it's really beautiful to, to imagine other worlds, to imagine otherwise. It's okay. And I think as human beings, it also creates a really beautiful energy between us of like okay how could it be and not stay here and like discuss in this kind of rotten way about you know okay you're telling me this is not wrong then give me a solution like I think we need to approach things in a bit more of a gentler and more tender way
0: and I totally totally understand that Mm. and you know like I mentioned I think that dreaming is a great thing Um, and imagining a better world as far as I'm concerned we should all be aiming to be slightly better people every single day Mm -hmm. you know we should all be aiming to help in whatever way we can um but I think that one of the when you have these kind of um these situations you know like say for example feminism veganism um the isms basically um it is instantly divides people but and part of my because people want to belong to one tribe you know it's kind of like either you're a feminist or you're kind of like and the enemy uh, I w- or you're I don't a vegan think or you
1: so. I mean I don't agree
0: <laughs> but it's, it's kind of it's it, it's what you see it's like it's the it's you you have to be part of one camp either you're like left wing or you're right wing either you're you know for this or you're against it and this there, and there are of course there are people who float between and try and find the middle ground. But generally people want to belong to one identity and people flock towards one. And it's like, like for example, I've been vegan for three years and I follow all these vegan pages just to try and see like recipes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But it's so like anti the rest of the world. And it really puts me off. Like it makes me embarrassed to call myself a vegan, even though I don't even necessarily think I am, you know, it's like, they're so anti the rest of the world and it's like okay you've chosen to go down this path and that's fine but there are other people who don't want to go down that path and that's totally fine for them because neither one is right or wrong you know it depends on what is okay morally for yourself and what you feel is correct where you live where you're born you know like what you have access to etc etc and I think it's this tribalism which is just being fueled even more by social media at the moment and I think that that's what drives a wedge and it actually makes the cause worse and harder to achieve and that's part of my reason for doing the podcast like this you know to talk to people with different opinions and try and find that middle ground and also to try and translate what one side is saying because you're saying for example that what i'm saying is very logical and it's very true like it's a very like you know like um right or wrong binary yes or no answer um and that's very true and one side is the emotional side and one side is the logical side, but you need a combination of both. Mm-hmm. And if you have very emotional people on one side trying to say their argument, you have very logical people on the other side trying to say their argument, there's a breakdown in communication and you have to find the middle ground there because both sides are probably making very valid points, but they're not understanding each other. And it's the same in, um, in a lot of relationships, like change my whole perspective reading this book, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Um, which like I know you probably don't like that book but it just a lot of people it's not it's not that book's not going to apply to everyone and you know not everybody's going to fit perfectly in those categories of man and woman or whatever but it's just the point of like there are certain ways of certain people think in certain ways and certain people think in other ways and if you tend to be one of the people that thinks in those type of ways then it's very useful to have um, basically a, a sort of translation in the middle and try and figure out somebody else's language, you know, like Mm -hmm. the the language they're talking to you in. um, And I think it it, like, this is is my reason, you know, we have to find this middle ground to be able to talk about these topics and find, you know, like for example, talking to someone who's not very in touch with their emotions and explaining emotionally how it's making you feel is not gonna be very useful and vice versa, you know, like, There there, there has to be a middle ground, and I think both sides make very valid points.
1: Look, just to get back to... I I don't know if I agree that the isms are necessarily divisive. Um, I say I'm a feminist, and for me, it doesn't mean that anyone who... Like, for me, feminism is uh, a system against the oppression of everyone, not only the oppression of women. So that's why I also believe that feminism should be intersectional, but also the... And I really agree with you about the um, dialogue part. Like, we need to be able to talk to each other. But then the important thing is to understand what is the purpose when we're talking to each other. Like, what are we trying to arrive at? Are you trying to understand me? Am I trying... Do I have to understand you? In the end, like... Mm, I really think that, uh, so I, for example, do sometimes these kind of dialogue booths in my sub stack. I'm going to start doing more because I think they're really important. And I've done them with someone who's a facilitator. And we did one about masculinity, and it was really interesting because there was also moments of trigger. And, for example, we, at one point, So it all started with just kind of questions of like, tell me your story. So in the end, like maybe that would be a good way to also start these conversations. Like, what's your story and what's my story regarding, let's say, a topic? Mm -hmm. And that immediately puts us in a situation where we are in our hearts and in our humanity. And in the end, we're, we're both humans. We have feelings. Uh, Maybe you, you might not understand it or I might not understand feelings that well, but we all have a body. We've lived through it. We were born. We have parents that probably traumatized us in their own ways. Like we have that in common. We have experience that did that for us. So maybe sharing our personal stories would be good. And then starting to question and then saying, "Okay, this is where I'm coming from. This is where you're coming from. How do we move forward? How do, are we questioning? What does, for example, within this masculinity workshop, was like, how has your idea of masculinity affected you? And everyone had a different story, but everyone also had like a kind of common thread within their stories. Mm-hmm. And there were, you know, there was black man, a UK white guy, me, men, women, everyone different, gays, a guy whose dad had just uh, died. It, it was very like... But there was a commonality, and there were differences, and that was really beautiful mm-hmm. and the idea that and and the fact that we got together and were able to talk about our stories in such a vulnerable ways and I in the end this I think is the key to having dialogue it's not me against you, it's not me trying to get my point about whatever rejecting hierarchies or feminism to you or you trying to get the thing of like oh well, I don't understand it so let me under like I don't accept it if I don't understand it it's about being vulnerable together because I think otherwise why are we even having these conversations if we cannot be vulnerable with each other and I think that's where we need to have those dialogues from and maybe sometimes we won't understand each other maybe there's some things that are too much but I also don't I don't agree with like Exactly with with like vegans that are really anti And I don't think everyone is like that I think 100% they're not Yeah, and and I think that Those who are Then yes, they do put themselves in a binary But for me For example, the things that I believe in I don't want to put myself in a binary No matter how much trauma and anger And shit that I have against certain things Because there's also that There could also be You know, me. Inherent bias. Inherent bias. Maybe someone is in a situation. Like, there's so many discourses like this. And a lot. And this is where it's like, okay, we cannot be binary. We need to understand that we need to hold the multitudes and the complexities of these situations, of these dialogues, without either being either or. But being like, okay, this is where I'm coming from. I, I don't know. I had an abusive father, so men trigger me, or I had an abusive mom, so women trigger me, or like my mom left me when she was four, so I'm really triggered by... Everyone has a story and everyone brings it to the table when we're talking. And I think it's really important that all of those things, those emotional, more spiritual things, are considered. And I think that's a good way to approach dialogue rather than in a purely logical way.
0: I know, I 100% agree. And like... um maybe I come across as combative but it's I'm, I'm genuinely trying to understand you know like I'm for me like the the point of these discussions as well is to it's for me to question what you're saying because then someone listening maybe they maybe they align with what I'm saying which isn't necessarily what I actually think I'm kind of giving the, the I'm playing devil's advocate Devil, yeah. Because to me, that's the way I learn. Like I learn, uh, if I want to learn about a topic, I'll listen to Oxford Union debates, you know, and then there's people trying to prove each other wrong, you know, or I'll go on and I'll listen to like just panel shows where there's debate, people trying to debate from different types of backgrounds or whatever because that's that's the way I learn when it's people trying to question the other person. Um, Mm. So don't take what I'm saying as me trying to like, shoot you down, I'm playing devil's advocate. No,
1: no, no, I don't. I, um, I, I'm not...
0: And, the, like, I'm, I'm genuinely... I'm trying to learn... Um, I'm trying to learn about feminism. and am trying to learn about the patriarchy. Um, I'm struggling a little bit to understand the... Patri- I understand exactly what patriarchies are. And, like, for example, I'm reading a book at the moment. It's called um, something like The Women in Refuge from women in isis or something like that basically mm-hmm. i've been like learning a bit about syria and isis recently um and <clears throat> this book was recommended to me by one of my friends who is um she works in refugee camps uh she's been on the podcast but um it was recommended to me because it basically it tells a story of about, i think it's six different women from different countries their reasons for joining isis
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and then i've like listened to shamima Begum's story and a few other podcasts like that and um just because like obviously in, in my head, I'm thinking, why the hell would people go and willingly go to Syria mm-hmm. from the UK or wherever, Germany or why would they go and join these groups and stuff? And it tells the story and and I can see how in, in their societies and in that society in particular, you know, like Saudi Arabia, Syria, ISIS territory, um, Iraq they are patriarchies like 100% patriarchies where women don't have rights to do things like some countries women can't drive you know they they are 100% subservient they don't have the same legal rights they are just housewives and baby makers and that is a patriarchy and then i'm i'm thinking like when i think of like the uk or something where you have you know women and men have shared can have shared maternity paternity leave. Women have e- they're equal under the law. Um, like l- law, law exists to stop uh, sexism. Law exists to try and mitigate it as much as possible. Like it's, it's kind of as, it's it's on quite a good level of fairness in terms of legality and overall access to education, you know, you have equal, or even more, I think, women in universities, like, you have women high up all over the country, you've got more women in the Liberal Democrats, you've got more women in Labour, you've got more women in um, the Green Party, like, you've got more MPs that are women. And so I'm like, then I'm struggling to think, like, to understand how do they compare, like, how, how in the Western world, I don't really know much about Spain, um... But uh, I don't get it. Like how, What?
1: what's the oppression? Have you read the statistics of sexual assault on women? No. Yeah. One in three women is uh, raped or sexually assaulted uh, in the world. Different uh, countries have different laws. I think the oppression comes from these statistics from the gender pay gap, women are paid less than men almost all over Europe. There's domestic laws even within Europe that are, like it's not, a, it's not only about representation, it's not only like, it's like in America, there was a black president, do you think there's no racism in America? No, it's the same here. It doesn't mean that like, I mean, in a lot of countries in Europe, Especially like Italy, where I come from, it's very difficult to get an abortion. That's a violation of a woman's body. Mm-hmm. Like that's a violation. Um, the mental load within a family is like quite a lot more towards the woman. Like women are very much like, th- and and that's I think I, a type of oppression. And it, and I will not sit here and celebrate that I'm not being. I'm not an oven for children and that I'm not, that I don't have the same rights as men to drive. I'm not going to celebrate that as a like, oh, yay. Then I, I'm i so lucky because I'm not in that situation. Like Equality has to be a right for everyone. And it doesn't like, <laughs> I don't know. It just, it makes me annoyed and, and laughing. Uh, that like the oppression is not seen when it's really there. Like it's there in so many ways, like even in homelessness, like how, are, how many more women that are homeless are victims of violence? How many women within the household? Like here in Spain, when there was COVID, women, there was like an increase in domestic violence. This is because the mentality is patriarchal and the mentality is man over woman. And now we're not even bringing in the binaries of gender, like we're talking about straight up, like, cis men and cis women. They're, like, our rights are not the same and our access to certain things are not the same. The way mothers are treated, the way mothers and children are isolated from the society, the way the medical system treats a woman's body in a lot of ways. Again, sexual assault is a huge one. Like, there's a culture of rape, there's a culture of abuse, this is because of patriarchy. It's not about laws. It's not about it's a it's really a question of power. And yes, we're doing a lot with laws, but look what happened in America. they They had rights. Now they don't anymore. I know as a woman, that if some that that my safety is on a thin line, and I know that like if tomorrow there's a war here, there's a huge chance that my body will be violated in some way and that I might be raped. And it's just the way it is. Like in every country, when there's a war, women are raped. Rape is used as a... Women are raped, but men are killed. Exactly. But but it, but men are... For sure, I'm not saying that there's no... Uh, I think men are highly oppressed under the patriarchal society. Very, very oppressed. But if we're talking about... Like right now, we're we're talking about like sexual abuse, which is an abuse of power. I don't I don't know if I see killing as an as a abuse of power. I think it's a it stands on a different ground. It's shit all the same, but I don't know. I wouldn't say that like men killing men in war is a is an abuse of power. Like there's not a power over. Yeah. So the the then the issue is comes from a different root like it's still an issue, I'm not taking away from that, but it comes from a different root. One is that this society thinks that there is someone that has power over someone else just because of their their gender. And that's a truth. There can also be a truth that like male suicide is super high and that's probably because patriarchy or the system we live in does not, teach men to, like, deal with their emotion and deal with depression and deal with the complexities of, like, being in a human body and the body changing and everything else. Like, for example, there's a lot of men that suffer from um... uh, Oh my god, how do you say that? Eating disorders. Mm -hmm. No one really talks about that. Like, of course, there's a lot of isolation. But then I would invite men who want to question things and who want to like access that more kind of emotional and yeah i guess talking about trauma to like get together like women get together all the time and we get together for a question of survival we don't get together because we're like oh my god yeah we're friends like it's i can't access an abortion i need to find other people that are in my same situation and will help me or I have been abused or I have been in, the, like, you get together to survive as well. Also to celebrate womanhood and whatever else. But like, and I think we, we cannot, like, feminists are not against men. Like, I am not.
0: There are a lot who are. I there are a lot and who these, are. You see, this is what, you're making brilliant points. Um, and I'll come back to those in a second, but... This, this is kind of the, the problem at the moment. And I think it's it's like, this is why there needs to be like translators and mediators um, in between it. Because, for example, the vegans that most people have access to, to use that example, again, are the ones that stand on street, forcing like horrible image down people's faces, which they literally do here in Barcelona, and probably everywhere. You know, like your PETA types who are going and like blowing up factories and all that stuff. And, You know, like like walking around, they're what people, they're what your average person is seeing and associating with a vegan. And in the same way with feminists is you're seeing the kind of more militant types who are the most vocal and then they are often shrouding people's opinion and understanding of what it really means to be a true feminist because, you know, it, it always seems to be us versus them. And it always seems like other things that I, I see, this is my own personal experience and I've tried my very best to consume as much like information as possible about it and debates, they always seem to be us versus them. And it's, it's always like, it, the way it seems to me is that it's not about equality or mitigating suffering, it's about certain people, the most vocal militant people who want power over everyone else. And it's like wanting to replace the the hierarchy that we have now with their hierarchy with them at the top, okay. and that's 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 like what that's that's what I see, and you know that's why it's important to speak to someone like yourself who is trying to
1: not be like that, but you're making excellent points about can I know, just before you make another point, I really need to answer this because I think that I don't know what you've been exposed to or what narratives you've been exposed to, but I would invite you to expose yourself to other narratives when it comes to feminism, because I really, I don't, for example, if here in Barcelona, there's a huge movement of Latin American women, and this is not what what they're advocating. Like Latin America has a huge femicide, their abortion laws are crap. I mean, a lot of women have fought, And it's all about intersectionality. And yes, there's a lot of, there can be hate and there can be trauma, but you have to realize that like, in a way I tell my male friends, like stop being so sensitive. Like you also represent, you represent a trauma and you represent an evil as a white dude, especially. And you have to be okay with that. And you have to be able to be humble and question and listen. And I'm not saying it because it's like, oh, we're against you. I do. I sometimes do this with my black friends or I've had situations in which maybe maybe I felt a bit out of place. But just be humble. Like you in those situations, you have to be humble because you have not experienced the trauma that like I've experienced or that a woman that maybe she's pissed off a man because her dad abused her or and her boyfriend raped her. I have friends that have been raped several times, and they've been molested several times by men. And when it happens in such a way, of course, then you are like, okay, is it all of them then? Because like that's how I've been treated by men. And I think it's so important that men stop trying to understand, like stop thinking like, oh my God, I'm, like they just want to kill all of us it's not like that it's not a replacement of another hierarchy it's it's a questioning of an oppressive system this is an oppressive system also to you guys and unfortunately very sorry but you represent a certain type of evil as who you are and you have to be able to come into a room and be okay with maybe being attacked and not take everything personally and just listen and and understand that other person's pain because you don't know it you don't know what they've been through like i went to a um there's this group called furia mexicana and they're a feminist group and they did like a, a wake let's say on the 31st of october two years ago and i went and it was like in Mexico, like I think eleven women are day a day are killed. like mm. it's really bad the situation i don't I don't know if this statistic is completely right. We can check it later, but there's really a lot of femicide happen, and femicide is a homicide against women because just for being women, and that's that exists, and mm. you as a man, have to deal with the fact that this exists in life and This is not a pie, as many of you, know, it's not like giving me rights means taking rights away from another person. I don't want that. I think a lot of women that I know do not want that. I invite you to expose yourself to different narratives. I can suggest a few if you want. But in this uh, in this week that I was talking about, I got lost a little bit. But there was women that like there was a woman that was wailing, and I don't know what her story was, but like the stories they were sharing were of a woman driving a car, got into an accident, got killed. Uh, Like, the accident wasn't great, but she got, like, kidnapped and killed. Women, because men who are in, like, gang wars, et cetera, they use women as, like, kind of, oh, I'll kill your sister or I'll kill your mother and et cetera, et cetera. And that happens. Like, we always, our bodies somehow come in, in the middle of of these wars and, and whatever is happening. And I think that there has to be a really big healing that men has, have to do and a lot. and it won't be, it's not easy. It's not easy to sit and listen to someone hating on you or hating on your people, quote unquote. I know that it's not, but you have to do it because otherwise things are never going to change. You're not gonna understand your way into healing. You have to just do it in an emotional way and I know that it's difficult, but I think it's also good that we try and learn things differently than how we've always tried to learn them. I don't know if that resonates or... No, I totally get it. And, um, like, I I went to
0: Brazil for five months and I spent, I travel around pretty much the whole country and I've been to Colombia um, and I've been to Argentina twice. And, like, I spent, it was so obvious there like the machismo like I don't know what you call it in English the
1: sexism I guess sexism
0: I suppose yeah, yeah. but like it was so obvious there and it was it made me feel really uncomfortable to be honest um, and I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of different people about their a ex- lot of different girls about their experiences and like two different people two different girls told me that um, one one guy had tried to basically like basically tried to kill her by, with his arms around her throat. Oh, God. Um, and she'd managed to get away, and then she went and told the police, and they said the bruises weren't big enough because she'd waited, like, a day or two. Um, so basically nothing happened. Another girl... Um, these were both in Argentina. Another girl, her boyfriend, when she was about on her, like, 17th birthday or something, he'd locked her in a room and had sex with her friend in the room next door. And, like, then there were loads of other... I can't even remember all of them. There was... Oh, yeah, there's another one who, would like she'd been beaten up by and the, the, her like boyfriend at the time was actually German, but she'd been like beaten up by a, by a boyfriend. I went to visit him in Germany from Brazil, been beaten up. I spoke to all these women and I was like, because maybe I've come, I, well, I've probably come from a total protected little bubble back home because there was just no violence growing up. The, like there was violence against me. Um, not with my family, like with this group of people in, in the town, like they attacked me a lot. And, um, but I never, so there was no violence at my school. Like, you know, there was about 15 or 16 of us boys with about 15 or 16 girls, and we did everything together. And there was just, there was no, there was no, everybody everybody's gotten so well, and everybody was just like great friends. And so I've not been exposed to the oppression of people. That's why I, I tried to understand it. But the point you made there about just listening and accepting, as opposed to trying to like
1: mm.
0: rationally mm-hmm. understand it, which is like my go to. It's like just accepting that that's happened, but it, it's painful to accept that that happens to people, and that those things exist. It's really, it is really painful to accept. And like,
1: yeah. but you have to break your heart in I know. order to change.
0: Yeah, of course. And like, it's like you just can't. Like, I don't know much about you and your your upbringing, but the fact that you're here and well put together seems like you know. we've we've both come from relatively privileged backgrounds, you know, Mm -hmm. um, compared to the global average anyway. And it's so hard to understand the levels of suffering that some people actually have for whatever reason, you know, abuse or just where they grow up or, growing up in a war zone. You know, for example, I've I've got a real soft spot for immigrants and not immigrants, um, asylum seekers in particular, Mm -hmm. you know, because they get such a shit time everyone hates them, basically, and they've had to flee their country. It's not like they're coming to just scrounge and whatever. They have to flee their place that they probably loved at one point because of a war that was not started by them or probably their peers, even. And so it's, it's really shit. And, you know, what, what you mentioned there about accepting, accepting that this stuff happens and accepting that there are predominantly a certain group of people to do that um is really tough and i wrote a poem about that um that just like it was more so about accepting accepting the past you know accepting the fact that slavery has happened and that that wasn't that far ago and that we are still kind of feeling the effects of that we're still feeling the effects of the world wars you know because our grandparents generations were in those basically and then that's trickled down. That's some crazy generational trauma that, you know, most of Europe had to experience. And then that trickles down to us. Like, a lot of those people are still alive. Um, and also just... It, but, like, we have to accept these things and then move on. And I think that it's actually... it's In a lot of cases, it's not that people are so callous that they don't care. It's I think it's actually the opposite. Like, I'm talking about men in general. It's like, men are actually a lot softer than they appear and really struggle to accept that these things do exist and are difficult and they struggle to accept the emotion of it which then actually builds up the ego on the other side of like I will not listen to what you're saying because that's too painful to, to accept and it's like it's really it's challenging yeah. but also what you mentioned another thing you mentioned there that gave me the image of like you know as as the white privileged male you have to be humble and stoic i suppose but it's like that's the that's the vision of of masculinity that i see is like you know the the hyper masculine male is not the one that's out there beating his chest it the the true alpha is the one that's kind of sat there quietly that everybody quietly respects and everybody can turn to if they need to it's like that's That's the vision of masculinity that I see. Mm. It's not the one that's starting wars. You know, it's not the one that's beating people up. It's the one that has all of that inherent strength, be that physical or mental strength, and remains calm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... And receptive. Yeah. I don't want to, like, comment on... um, I think it would be interesting maybe to have someone who's experienced... Uh, having to flee their country here might be like super interesting to also know their story and but um, I won't speak to that because it's not my experience and and when it comes to masculinity like I've recently been working a lot and talking a lot about it I actually want to start a little podcast in my sub stack about this topic with someone that I really respect uh, and maybe invite people but I think that also masculinity is not you don't have a lot of stories. Like the, the stories are very stagnant and uh, and just they, they don't move. They don't dance. There's no kind of... Um, in in patri- Patriarchal stories are very like boom, boom. Like that's how male are. That's the alpha male, et cetera, et cetera. But there's like a movement now of people that are trying to sort of rewild and reinterpret certain stories and make up new ones. and And that goes... Again, to the imagination exercise that we talked about before, where it's like, what other stories can you imagine for males? Like, how, what if, you know, Jesus was actually a dancer and he entertained people through his soft movements? What if, you know, Odysseus cried every night at night, (laughs) cried every time at night? Or, you know, how are those stories of masculinity? being retold and reinterpreted and i think that's also an exercise of questioning from a place that's like poetic and emotional and i think that's why a lot of the work that i do i i do it because of this when i did this workshop on masculinity that came from this essay that i wrote called uh, an ecological approach to masculinity where i mention a bunch of people that you can also research into Um, Like, a lot of men came and, like, we were 12. And I think that's quite a good number for, like, a first workshop. And they came and they told their stories and they all had a different way of interpreting masculinity. Some had inherited kind of, like, they called it the masculinity of silence. Some others had inherited, like, the toughness. Some were completely emotionally neglected and don't even know how to talk about their emotions. And what was beautiful was to sit together and like imagine new stories. Like, and I think that's what a lot of men can open themselves to is another way of approaching stories of approaching myths about yourselves rather than trying to like, understand really. I don't think we, you, I don't think we will rationally understand our way out of like patriarchy and capitalism or whatever. Like I don't, I think we need to get into our bodies, f- understand where we're coming from, what our story is, and imagine new stories, new worlds. And like, as a poet, you can also do that as a really nice exercise. It's like, take a myth and tell it in a complete, completely different way. Make, you know, Jesus queer or, you know, like whoever. And I think that can be that's a really interesting way of approaching certain things. I mean, I'm not here to teach men how to get out of it. I think women spend way too much energy trying to get men to understand like feminism and that they're not hated, but like also this hypersensitivity. Like I know it's heartbreaking, but like until we, you break your hearts, all of us, because now we can talk about this, even when it comes to climate change, like, until we break our hearts understanding what is happening things are not going to radically change so i think the same for everyone like you like in order to radically change you have to be willing to break your heart and i know it's shit and it's painful but it's the way it is and just got to do it <laughs>
0: yeah no i totally agree with the breaking your heart part you know like you have to open yourself up to the pain that exists in order to be able to grow and think of solutions mm. you know and in in terms of Jesus like I know what you're saying about the myth and I I think maybe it'd be like better if it was someone like Hercules because Jesus yes. Jesus I think is like the perfect embodiment of balanced masculine and feminine
1: uh-huh so okay. like he
0: he embodies he, he embodies exactly what it what a person should be like you know having all of the feminine qualities and all of the masculine qualities masculine qualities in balance interesting yeah um so i think that i think that he's you know like the ideal person you'd want to be you know like as a man anyway for me it's like someone who's kind caring considerate um compassionate loving, all of those things, but also at the same time, stoic, disciplined, um, does what's right despite the consequences, you know, all of those, like, balanced aspects which are just perfect, really. I suppose he's he's supposed to be the embodiment of perfection. Um, Mm. But I do totally agree that... um,
1: Hercules, take you Hercules, yeah. Uh, But,
0: like, um, I think that as well that, like, just, just to go back to that thing about just Accepting without questioning, um, like now I, I tried to do that in my life with my girlfriend when she just helped like I think when you first meet someone and before I started researching about you know like why women say the things they do mm. um, and why they feel the way they feel, like I had to have some sort of understanding psychologically why it might happen, you know, like women have a higher propensity towards negative emotion and stress because they were or were primarily and are primarily the primary caregiver and they have to be more vigilant to negative consequences and, and they have to be more vigilant.
1: That's so, the oppression, by the way, that you said that you didn't see. That's an oppression. Women being the primary caregiver, I think it's a form of oppression in some way. But women, but women breastfeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They but are the primary gag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the ones who give birth.
0: Yeah, for sure. But I I'm not sure if that could be described as oppression because... Not so the for bodily function. But for it to, be, for it to be oppression, someone has to be putting that on them. And no one's putting the fact that they have babies on them. Like in, in terms of no, mm. one's, no one's forcing that person to be a female and have the ability to give birth. Okay, yeah.
1: I don't. Want, um, I do not want to get into this because it's like it could, it could go into a really weird tangent. But um, tell me about your
0: girlfriend. So, so, but now it's like sometimes she just says things, and like so, I, I've understand I like kind of like the the background from it. And um, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Gave a really nice description about how um, men are much better at instant stress, like stress in the here and now, because of. Um, evolving, fighting off animals and fighting each other and actual protection. So they're much better at dealing with stress right here and the right in now, but they're way worse at dealing with long-term stress. Um, hence probably why suicide is much higher in males. Uh, well, one of the reasons anyway, and women are the reverse. They're worse at dealing with stress in here and now and much better at dealing with long-term stress. Um, and that's just because of evolution. And so like little things like that I learned and I thought really interesting, but now... Sometimes she'll just tell me something. And like my instant reaction, I'm like, that's ridiculous. But then I'm just like, okay, just accept that that's the way it yeah. is. Uh, she's feeling like that. Don't bother trying to understand it because you probably won't. She's feeling like that. And she's told you she's feeling like that. So just accept it and go along with it. And I think it's actually pretty helpful in terms of actually like being cohesive. Mm. Um,
1: I'm yeah. I'm not so sure about these divisions of the Venus and Mars. I, f- I find them quite problematic. If it helps you understand, then I guess good for you. But I don't know if it's like my partner, for example, who is a male, is not that great at here and now stress. Like I know a lot of men that are not that good in, in the here and now stress. I don't know. I think these these binaries and generalizations can be quite um dangerous. I think the way that we can understand other people's feelings is by understanding our own and by doing a lot of inner work and and have a lot of compassion for the fact that like we could be living a situation in two completely different ways, like the same exact thing could be by us lived in two different ways. And and I think that that is a human thing. It's not a male or female. Also, gender is is a spectrum. There's th- that whole other discourse that I don't know if we should even get into as cis straight people. Um,
0: but I, I I, totally agree Gender is a spectrum and not everybody fits into the, the male-female divide.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, I think of it more in masculine-feminine energy, which we, everyone has a combination of. Of both, yes. Um, this I agree with. But the reason why it's easier just to say male and female is because the majority of females will have higher female energy and the majority of males will have higher masculine energy. So the majority of people, it's the way a a spectrum works is the majority of the people are in the middle. So the majority of people do fit into the generalization, but there are plenty of people who don't. So like having these two binaries and understanding the two binaries is really important. Then you can see, okay, that person fits maybe three out of 10 on that scale. And that person fits maybe an eight out of 10 on that scale in terms of like. 100% masculine, 100% feminine. Maybe this person's 50-50. Maybe this person's 90-10. Approximately, like, having these different scales and spectrums, um, not everyone fits. But how do you judge those scales? It's totally subjective. And it's like, if it helps you to understand that person and you think it's working, then fine. If not, it doesn't have to change anything, you know? Like, in... Yeah, like, in, in, in my case, the with me and my girlfriend, I think it does that stereotype. And in the men of Mars, women from Venus, like they, they they, biologically look at the, there's a certain part of the brain, I can't remember which part, but they're different in men and women for the stress response on the whole. Um, and it's like in my case with with that comment about immediate stress and long-term stress, it's definitely true. Like I'm fine with things in the here and now, but it takes me a lot longer to process long-term things relationship breakups you know mm-hmm. the past all that type of stuff whereas my girlfriend's the opposite and that's that's the the stereotype which the majority would fit into but there's plenty of people that don't and that's absolutely fine
1: yeah I mean I, I don't know if it's even useful like I think you can talk from your own experience and how you're living how you're living in, in your day-to-day but I think making these generalizations is really dangerous in my opinion and I think we should but what's the danger that you're generalizing and maybe a lot of people don't relate and that's not like then that's exclusive
0: but generalizations exist like that's anthropology is based upon generalizations like no one's ever going to fit 100 into any thing yeah. ever you know it's like certain cultures do this more certain cultures do that more not everyone's going to fit in it and there's going to be loads of variety but the majority of people fit into when you have a spectrum of anything most people fit in the middle because it's normally distributed, so it's a it's a nice little curve like that, and most people are in the middle, so the generalization applies to the majority of people, mm. but you don't have to be so obtuse as to think that everyone fits into that, and if they don't it's like mm. and I can understand what you're saying that it could be dangerous for everybody to just assume that everyone fits into these categories, yeah, and you should never assume anything but you can start off when, if you're analyzing something or someone, you can start off by saying, well, it's much more likely that they'll fit in this category than it's not. You know, it's much, know. Mo- it's much more likely to meet someone who is straight than that someone who's gay, for example. It's more likely. It's more likely to meet, you know, this. It, it's, I don't know. I don't really cannot answer
1: that question. I don't know if it's true. I think these are sweeping more, There's statements. obviously more
0: straight straight people than there are gay people. I think Otherwise, gay people would be the majority. But here in Barcelona, for example, there's a lot of gay people here, but they're not the majority by no mm-hmm. like even if it's one in three, mm-hmm. which is it's which probably not because if you think of all of the families you know like in a family of five, it would be uncommon to have three gay people
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know it's like it's things like that there's you you can say well, it's much more likely, I'll start with this assumption if I need to assume something, you can start with that, and then if it's wrong, it's wrong, and that's fine,
1: yeah, I mean, I think for me. The way I approach things is not, I don't know, it's also a lot my personal experience. So if for you reading Mars and Venus was really helpful, then great for you. I would suggest <clears throat> you also read other things that expose you to different narratives and then make up your mind with that. And I just don't, I don't like generalized statements in a conversation. I would rather speak from like my own personal experience. I don't want to speak for gay people or immigrants or other, like that's something I don't want to do. And that's just my choice.
0: I get that. Like the only thing we're an expert about is ourselves, And we're not even, like we made that joke before we came here that yeah. you didn't really have to prepare anything because it would just be about, yeah. <laughs> it be about you and your thoughts and hopefully you should know those well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like the only... Thing, They're always
1: changing. They're so, always changing. You know?
0: um, and my opinions about things are constantly changing. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to start with the big issues and educate myself as best as I can. I, You're right. I need to read more literature, but there's only a limited amount of time in, in the day. Or
1: get out of your um, comfort zone. Get I, out of I your think comfort that zone. I
0: purpose, I think that I do that okay. a lot. I think I live in constant discomfort. Okay. Um... <laughs>
1: That's not good. <laughs> I mean, like... I, you just I'm drank com- a tea with a lot of herbs inside that's yeah. pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, no,
0: I'm, I'm... I permanently try and go and do things that are going to make me feel uncomfortable. And that's just the way I am. That Why? Because you grow. You learn. You're only uncomfortable okay. because, like... You're only uncomfortable because you don't understand it and you're uncomfortable because you don't know how you're going to be able to interact with the people. Um, I I ultimately, I want to learn, but like, you don't really learn much doing the things that you're comfortable at. You know, it's like, it's like, I've, I've read a fair few books now about racism and that's not comfortable at all. I want to learn it, but like you say, in order to learn and accept and understand, you have to break it down. But you have to, for me, it's like, I have to hear these people's stories to be able to truly understand it, because otherwise, people, someone saying like, "Oh, racism exists," you're like, "Okay." I, that's how, where, why, who, when, how does it make the people feel? Like it's it's very difficult to understand without hearing a direct story about it, and it's like that is the the discomfort, <laughs> um and also then physical discomfort, like torturing myself with exercise and saunas and cold Mm. showers and things like that um it's just like living in this state of discomfort i suppose
1: Mm. yeah so um, i mean we we each heal in our own ways i do think i do find that like um the the ways you sometimes approach a topic or like when you're trying to uh, explain something to me that it's very like yes, it's like this or it's like that. And and I think that we could, there could be ways in which we enter a conversation that are not like that. And I, I was also wondering, like, why? Because you, you said before, I play devil's advocate, but like, and you said that that's how you learn things. But like, I don't know if, if that's really a way to learn things to like, because playing devil's advocate sometimes makes people quite uncomfortable, which is fair enough and maybe it gets a nice conversation out but at the same time like wouldn't it be interesting to have a conversation where you're asking the other person like how something makes them feel or how they are in in that moment or rather than challenge with like intellectual questioning which can be quite like, whoa, like at the beginning, I I felt a bit like that. Now I feel much more relaxed. But at the beginning, I was like, why am I being bombarded with the question? Like, I, I thought that this was also a place where um, you are interested to hear other people's stories and opinion. And I just, yeah, I just wanted to tell you that.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for telling me that I, I do come across, I can be intense. I know that, <laughs> um, but it's also difficult for me to. It's difficult for me to judge whether someone is receptive to that or not until I try, and like I started off and I can see that I could see that you're getting a little bit uncomfortable and I tried to tone it back a bit, um, but like we're not onto the part where I ask you about you. Yeah, I just because we went straight into it, I wanted to kind of mm-hmm. lay out the the main points. You know, like. I didn't get onto the capitalism part yet, but I wanted to lay out the I wanted to lay out the kind of the, the argument so that people can understand the kind of the two different sides of it, um, and then go on to the personal experiences because it's like some people that are listening might have absolutely no understanding of anything mm-hmm. of what the patriarch even is. And it's like it, it it was about introducing that and laying out the argument. And I know I understand that I like debating and I like my, it's just my personality, you know, and maybe you're right that for certain people, it doesn't work with being combative. Um, and it, maybe it doesn't draw the best out of, of everyone, but you know, I'm 15 episodes into this now and I'm still right at the beginning learning how to interview, how to understand what people like and, ha- and what they want. Um, but it, it is, it is the way that I learn, Cause it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm capable of believing the opposite things. You know, I'm capable of believing that this is right. And this is wrong at the same time. I don't need to have a definite answer. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I like to hear one side argued out and the other side argued out, and then usually both sides make total logical sense, you know, and then the, the middle ground. Is about finding the human aspect of it because you can rationally, philosophically argue both sides of it out and you can make, come to logical conclusions with both of them and you're like, mm, that makes logical sense. But
1: so you're placing like the basis of the conversation is that it's two by, bi- like it's one person against another and then like it's not, it's not, it's not coming from a place of curiosity of like ooh I don't know much about this i I would love to know more
0: that's what I'm trying to find out. I don't know that much like okay. you're you're the one that writes about it, yeah, so that's why I'm saying things you' you're you're telling me your your perspective mm-hmm. I'm challenging that back, and then that's like i i'm I'm trying to dig in my my probing questions are trying to dig in to what you're saying because it's like there, there has to be a bit of a backwards and forwards mm to dig in, you know, and it's like, if someone's telling you something and then, you're not, you're not, I'm not grasping what that is or, or I think there's something that means that that doesn't, to me, doesn't make total sense, then I'll come back with something and then, I would hear, it's it, they're probing questions to find, for, to find more.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. It just, it just feels uh, that it, although I know that it does because of how we talked before, like, it, it doesn't the way you sometimes pose the questions doesn't feel like it comes from a place of curiosity or that it's rooted in in curiosity and openness it feels like it's rooted in a place that's quite you know harsh and i'm just uh, questioning it because i also love playing <laughs> devil's advocate so i'm just like giving you that um it's it's also okay to to be and I know you're open, but but to open in, in a way that doesn't have to be a conflict. It can be like everything can be from a place of curiosity. It can be like, okay, cool, I'm having a really difficult time understanding this because this is actually how I think usually, but like please tell me why you think it like that. And and then and then I think that's a and I think it's important to have this conversation. And I think maybe it's also interesting for the people that listen. Because I think we need to also learn to talk to each other in a way that's more coming from a place of curiosity and openness and like playfulness and not this kind of like, oh, I'm ping ponging you back like with more shit that I've learned. Like, no, we're here in like a nice little space and we want to just learn from each other. And I think that there are ways of communicating that that are much more tender and they come from a tender place and if you do come from a tender place then you're automatically like more open and it doesn't mean that you have to understand everything and it doesn't mean that everything needs to be defined at at the end of the conversation or everything else but like maybe you know just hearing someone else out with some with another or being curious about what they do i mean i don't like i'm i'm curious to know why you even wanted me here you know like I would love to know that, to know what you thought of of, or what you wanted to know from me.
0: Well, I think that what you're saying there is is, it is totally true. And and this again is like communication styles that are different. And I think it's like, like you say, it's really important that we've had this conversation. I take on board everything you're saying, um, because, you know, like, for example, the way that decisions are made and probably maybe this is patriarchal. I don't know, but like the way the decisions are made in government is that they are debated out, you know? So they're, they're, this side is saying this thing, this side saying the other thing. And that's how the consensus comes. I don't know how, I don't know how it would work in the other way, because like what you're saying is to kind of come from a place of openness and curiosity, which is what I try to do. Um, but. It's it's difficult to listen without rebutting, mm. you know, it's, it's difficult to listen like uh, to what someone's saying, because I think that I've taken your points on board
1: for sure. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: But it's difficult. I, I'm curious as to what you're saying, but maybe I'm lacking the tenderness um, and I know that I'm, I'm very like direct and blunt and mm-hmm. that comes across uh, the wrong way to some people. Um, and it is something I'm working on, like how, how to communicate to certain people, because I don't, there there has to be a middle ground. It can't be really tender. It can't be really blunt. if there's going to be mutual understanding, there has to be meat in the middle somewhere. And that's like the path that I and everyone needs to find that way to, to blend the two communication styles Mm -hmm. or 10 communication styles, whatever they are, blend that way. Um, but the reason I wanted you on is because, I mean, in fairness, you told me about what you were doing, mm-hmm. um, and you said you'd like to come on, and then I agreed. Um, okay. So I don't remember that. But you did. So. Um,
1: but See, I'm blunt too. I'm blunt yeah, you're to direct. Blunt. <laughs> yeah, you,
0: like so, you told me you wanted to come on, and then I was really interested because, you know, like you mentioned about talking to, uh, like an asylum seeker and stuff, and these are all things I'd love to do to hear people's stories. You're out there writing about one of the things I'm really trying to learn about and trying to understand. Um, so I thought it'd be perfect for you to come on. Um, and yeah, and and that's why we're here. And the reason I'm trying to, the reason I'm trying to do all of this is I, there is mass confusion just in general everybody's confused about what's going on people are confused within relationships people are confused at work people in general are pretty bad at communicating with each other um you know there's like confusion between parents and children there's confusion between um straight people and gay people there's now confusion because like the trans movement is is relatively sudden and relatively um loud shall we say and like very current But it's happened very quickly, and there's a lot of confusion about that, so at some point I'd like to be talking to people who know a lot more about that, to be able to kind of spread out information uh, and help people to kind of get it. Because I think that most people are not bad people, most people are not total arseholes, most people are not psychopaths, and most people are not incapable of emotion and understanding, but... There needs to be some translation for people to understand what's going on um, and people need a bit of time to learn and accept change. Because in general, people don't handle very well. People don't handle change very well. So it's about spreading information here in different points of view. Mm. Um, So I was going to ask you this right at the beginning, but then we got launched into something else. What do you think led you to do what you're doing now?
1: Mm, I think that i
0: explain what you're doing now, by the way. Mm? Explain like what you are doing now because I don't think we've fully mentioned do
1: it. Do you mean do you mean the substack or like the work in general? Work in general and okay. substack. So I am a writer and I write about social justice, uh feminism, art, uh and I, I and I write about these issues from a perspective that for me. It's poetic, and by poetic, I mean that maybe it's like more open and more curious, and where I'm questioning, but I'm not s- stating things as truths. Maybe I'm stating my own truths, um, and the idea is that my writing just plants a seed for more conversation and more questioning. Um, I did this because, um, I think, just growing up as a woman, uh, there, there, I understood a lot of. Injustices that happened, um, I, I grew up quite privileged, but I still um, uh, experienced, like, uh, abuse and um, assault and stuff like this and just sexism in general. I grew up in Italy, which is quite a sexist country. Do you think it's more or less sexist in Spain? Uh, more. If I have to say it, I would say more. Um, but... Yeah, so, and I always was interested in, like, understanding why injustices happen. Like, since I was a kid, like, I didn't understand certain things. And I was like, why is this happening? Like what? Wow. Uh, I mean, um, <laughs> there's a little story that, like, I was in this house and in the, the neighbors in the other house were, like, killing a pig on a full moon because they, they were farmers. So they did that. And they ate the pigs they had. And like my mom says that I had this like insane, like hysterical, uh, like I was, I really lost my shit. I was just like two or three and I just didn't understand why this was happening. And I think I just thought it was an injustice that this were, I mean, I'm not vegan now, but I thought it was really an injustice. And I think from there just all the time when we traveled a lot and whenever I saw something like it I don't know maybe it's like a, a natural a thing that I have and <clears throat> then I went on to study like uh, s- social sciences uh, s- social justice I- in London and yeah and and then I discover here in Barcelona is where I really understood the feminine movement from a completely different perspective because of my like uh, Argentinian sisters who brought me to the marches and we had dinners and discussed it and they were studying gender and there was like so much knowledge and intersectionality and then I started also exposing myself to sort of writers that were uh, of color and African uh, writers uh, just to see sort of just to be exposed to different narratives. I never resonated that much with like the kind of lean in feminism of like, oh, like the boss lady thing. I just didn't resonate with that. I was like, there's something dodgy about this. And then I was very angry for a long time. And I think there's a, lo- a part of me that's still healing a lot of my anger and a lot of the, Where did the
0: anger come from.
1: Um, I mean I think uh, within my family I I grew up in a like my father I would say was v- quite patriarchal in many ways um, but it also came from just experiences of like being in a place and having my butt touched for mm. no fucking reason
0: or I, I do think that that's really weird I was talking about it with my girlfriend sorry to butt Um mm. that like you know, like, when you have to brush past someone, you know, like, they're in your way or whatever, and, like, there was this old man the other day on the street, and he kind of, <clears throat> like, just touched the girl, like, on her, like, hip-slash-bum to, like, kind of, like, uh. move of right the way, and I'm like, it's just so unnecessary. It's like, you know, when you move someone, you have to, like, kind of, like, tap them on the shoulder, sort of, or, like, excuse me, like...
1: But you l- do it because you can. But you do it...
0: What do you mean? Uh, like,
1: like, men do it because oh, they right, can, yeah. and they've been they've been doing it. They Like, that's also why... You- I think men rape, you rape because you can.
0: (laughs) There is one crazy thing as well that um, in the UK, because I did law at A-level, so like we did a few little cases about things. um, In the UK, it was not illegal to rape your wife until until 1994. 1994. Mm -hmm. That's the year I was born, which I thought was absolutely crazy. And so like it makes sense that that's like still being undone. I don't necessarily think if... I don't necessarily think that I don't necessarily think it's like um, a kind of a patriarchy thing that when there's no if and when there's no or less patriarchy that that will stop. Because I think it's more of like a animal urge that people can't control in terms of rape. Um,
1: Oof, I don't want to get into this. Which, I, which <laughs> as
0: in, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I'm just saying I'm not
1: sure if it'll disappear. Um, I really think that you have to be careful when you say these things because they can be really, really offensive to some people. And I don't know if that's a truth.
0: But what? But what do you mean? What I mean is, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not justifying it. I'm saying, it, like in any way whatsoever, I'm saying that I'm not sure if it's like the fact that men are in power that means there's a high number of rapes, or that there's just what I'm saying is, I don't think that those messed up men that do rape. I'm not sure if they're going to go away. That's that's the only point I'm making. So I don't think that that's offensive to anyone. I just think that these people are messed up. And I think that, like... But
1: it's not, because you probably have friends that have abused people. You probably know some people that have either raped, like, and you don't know it. Like, most rapes and violence happens in the family or in the household, like... It's not, as you say, rapists are not only crazy people. Rapists are a systemic issue of how we're f- we're facing the idea, like how the rape culture and everything else. Like, like how, I don't know. I don't even want to like get into the whole rape thing because I think it's it needs much more consciousness and and like it has to be its own discourse. But you. You cannot say that, like, rapists are just not okay in their minds because there's a lot of people that you've probably, like, interacted with that may have raped people or their girlfriends because the lines are so thin with what happens. There's rape in gay men, there's, like, rape in uh, the trans community. Like, this is a systemic issue, it's not an issue of a few. A bunch of crazy people. Like, this is really important to know, I think.
0: True. To be honest, I don't know anything about... Yeah, but if you don't
1: know, then be careful with the statements, because it can be really, it's a really, really sensitive subject, I think. And we need to really approach it with a lot of care and a lot of consciousness and not make statements about certain things because it's very very important that we've that we i'm 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 just letting like this is how i see it and yeah
0: and that's fine and this is like these are the type of things that i need to hear um because it's uh, yeah it's just it's i find it slow so, like, i find it difficult to understand when it's like systemic like how it's built into a system of rape And I can see how it's like, I can see how men have more power over women physically, 100%. um, Mm. And, you know, as we mentioned, 29 years ago, a man was not capable of raping their wife because a woman was considered their property. And I get that. So I suppose, is it just an extrapolation of that, that then men think it's okay? Or is it like, what is it that makes people do that?
1: That's what I don't get. I don't know. Read about it. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm not here to like say why people rape. I'm just here to tell you that from what I've observed, this is a systemic issue. The way we talk about it is problematic. The way it happens is problematic. The different areas and situations where it happens, it happens within families. It happens within relationships. It happens in the street. It happens everywhere. Yeah, like that's one thing if it I, happens everywhere, it's a fucking systemic issue. Yeah, that's
0: one thing I found we watched I watched this film recently. Um I can't remember what the name is is of it, but it's got Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy and someone else like really famous in it. Um and it's about this homeless man. It's like a true story of this homeless man uh in the UK, and basically this social worker ends up meeting this homeless man and it tells like a he starts writing his story and finds out this guy has, like, just been homeless for ages, like, has loads of problems with violence and things like that. And it turns out, spoiler, that he was basically, like, repeatedly raped by his brother. Um, and so then we were, like, we were Googling about... Uh, and that's basically led him on to then do all these crazy things. And he's, like, obsessed with setting fires and stuff. And he's, I think he hurts his wife. Um, but, like, the... The film shows him as actually like a very kind of like sweet, caring person, just with this like ridiculous level of trauma inside him that just manifests itself in all these absolutely crazy acts. Um and then we were researching it and like the number of rapes that are like between brother and sister, or brother and brother, or I suppose sister or sister maybe. Um it's like massive. Cause like and then I'm I'm thinking about it as well, I think I've spoken about it before in here, but In Ireland, like, my family, my father's from Ireland, and then you have this whole thing with the priests, you know, priests, the the stereotype of the priest being a paedophile. But then my dad told me that when he was younger, and probably for a long time, um, if you grew up and they suspected you of being gay, or, like, you were really feminine, or even if you were, like, a kid and you did some, like, messed up things, they would send you to become a priest in the hopes that that would then convert you from your gayness or even from like you know maybe there's the the one in x amount who's just a total psychopath and they were doing like really crazy things then they would send that person to become a priest and then you have all these like sexually repressed people or people who are like malevolent that are then trying to be converted into like good holy people and then they end up abusing their power to the next people then they get traumatized and end up kind of like following down this big line.
1: Yeah, but then you see that it's a systemic issue and it's not just crazy people that rape that you said before.
0: Yeah, no, it's not. It's not just okay. it's not just crazy people, but it's like the if you've been raped as a child, the chances of you raping someone else as a child are way higher. So it's like when when it maybe I'm just misunderstanding the the definition of systemic because Does, like, does systemic here just mean that the constructed system or, like, societal problem? Because, like, for example, systemic and societal, like, societal would make a little bit more sense than systemic. Is it, because systemic systemic means to me it's kind of like, it's like it's been manufactured that way.
1: I mean... Um, the way I see the word systemic means that it's like. Universal. W- within a blue. Like uh, the blueprint, then kind of like s- it seeps into everything. And then it becomes. It's not systematic, but it's also systematic, I think.
0: But if it comes from a blueprint, then. I think the systemic
1: has a very straight up meaning that we could even yeah. Google and we can figure it out. But like, I think it. I think we don't need to understand the word. The word means something. Systemic meaning. Let's see. Relating to a system, especially as opposed to a particular part. So it's not an individual problem. It's like a...
0: Part of the whole...
1: Systemic issue. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's Not
0: necessarily manufactured, just part No,
1: not necessarily manufactured, just part of the system.
0: Okay. Because I was just a bit confused because... Like with the word blueprint, it makes me think of it being someone at the top being
1: like, this is the way we're going to make this. Blueprint is like where it's like the soil where you, the soil where where things grow from. That's for me the blueprint, if I think about it in like a nice poetic way. So if you're growing from rotten soil, then you're going to be rotten.
0: Yeah, I suppose then, like, a, like the more literal version of blueprint is just like the blueprint of a house or the blueprint of a factory or the exactly. blueprint of something, which is something that someone's designed. Uh huh. So oh. that—that's, I think, where I'm getting confused.
1: Anyway, back to your point. No, I don't. I really think that, like, I don't. Um, we, I think we went on a tangent, but I, I think we were talking about rape, and I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I just yeah, think, yeah. like. When when we talk about it, then let's be really conscious of how we talk about it, because it's a very sensitive subject and there's a lot of trauma of people around it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, also asking questions about abuse and rape. We have to be really careful with that as well. Like there's really we need to be sensitive when we ask certain things, I think. But, yeah. yeah.
0: <clears throat> so you were talking anyway about then how you you'd grown up there and then you were angry
1: and you were healing with the trauma of being angry. Um yes, and then I realized that like only being angry wasn't um it it wasn't the most useful thing for me, so I just tried to find a different way of doing it and uh doing it in this like poetic way, finding metaphors in nature and like making, like, the experience kind of sensorial for people to to also embody, you know? Like, we're very much in our heads, and we should be a bit more in our bodies.
0: Yeah, and once, sorry to pause you there one second, I have to let someone in. Apologies for that, we're back on air.
1: Okay, so, um, yeah, basically, I I then kind of healed my own things, and... I'm still healing. I think the work never stops. But I just found a formula that, that worked for me. And so now I write these... Well, I, I work with different companies to sort of um, help them form their tone and narrative and through, like, a gender, obviously, social justice per- perspective. And the thing that uh, I do now the most is, like, I write essays that I call like it, they have my i just write essays about uh, these types of topics from like an also ecological perspective which is really i find it really interesting because it really challenged me to like not think of things in like a binary way but to think of things in like everything is part of like a system and a and um and everyone has a role and there's different things happening at the same time so
0: like what how How does it link to ecology, if you could summarize that
1: um I'm still quite new to it, but ecology like it links to ecology because the approach is not is like more it holds different aspects, so an ecology is essentially like a a piece of something that where different roles mm. are happening in nature. So, um, and an ecological, the ecological perspective is, um, I, I don't even want to like right now, I'm, I don't even feel that I'm prepared enough to answer this question, but ecology was born as like a way to relate to nature and its, and its processes. And it was born from, I don't want to say wrong, an ornithologist, but Mm. (laughs) maybe I'm wrong. Um, but, but I don't know, for me, it's like to see, Metaphors in nature, mm-hmm. and to understand how other things work that are not human, and to see how I can relate to that and then to write about it in in a in that way um, can you give an
0: example of a metaphor mm,
1: for example um, bees, I was looking at like communication and like ritual and like everything that happens in a beehive is very ritualistic. They have like the waggle dance, they have mm. the different roles and and so looking at that was really interesting for me to to see, to make like a comparison of and I feel that when you do make a comparison with nature like it lands much more softly with people somehow and then for example I wrote an, uh, an essay about the mycelium systems oh. uh, and sisterhood in oppressive like uh, where in oppressive systems where like abortion is illegal so mm. how do there's like underground systems of support in these in countries where abortion is not legal and women get together and so i created this kind of parallel and metaphor between sisterhood networks and mycelium networks that happen in in oppressive systems under, underground somehow. So that's, I guess, any, another example.
0: That's really cool. I think with the example of the, the bees, the, the waggle dance, like my girlfriend wrote a poem, like a, a comedy poem called Game of Drones. Um, <laughs> and it's really funny, but she hasn't performed it yet or anything. But it's like, it mentions the waggle dance. And then, cause the, the, the male drones, when they have sex with the queen, they die. Ah. which is pretty crazy. Okay. It's like they they just work and then have sex and die because they lose their sting, I think.
1: Yeah. Even when they (coughs) sting you, they die, no? A lot of the time. Yeah,
0: which is pretty mental. But the mycelium network is so cool. Yeah. So cool. It's like, it just reminds me of the internet. It's crazy. And like, I keep thinking that, and like, I don't know, it makes, I don't know if it makes any sense, but you know how like, Within your family, you can sort of sense if something's wrong, even when you're not there. Uh-huh, um, okay. and you can basically, is there something that underpins intuition in a way that we can communicate our bodies can communicate with other bodies in a way that we don't yet understand? I think for sure like underpinning okay. underpinning intuition, because like there's loads of things that like yeah, that we do understand, you know like our brains will recognize the size of your pupils and tell us um your mood uh without us consciously understanding that and they'll see your body language without us necessarily consciously understanding that but is there a way that you know like you walk into a room and sometimes without even necessarily looking at someone you can feel there's a weird atmosphere in the room Mm -hmm. it's like what is that and it kind of it reminds me of it always reminds me of mushrooms and plants Mm -hmm. the way that they have these kind of like I don't know if it's pheromones that they release that communicate um, and send these little signals in their little mycelium network. Do we have our own little um, hidden mycelium network or maybe we are part of the mycelium?
1: I mean apparently there's more spores of mushrooms in the air than anything else so we have mycelium all over us all Mm. the time apparently. Um... There's so much more to learn on that. I would, uh, like, I'm really getting into it as well. Um, I do think that we, that there's something under, like, for example, when it comes to intuition, it definitely exists and you can also definitely work on it. Sometimes maybe in, like, little weird witchy ways. Um, You can also understand when something is like fear or anxiety or it's intuition like you can work with all these things. Like I sometimes have dreams that give me like make me understand something and yeah. I don't I definitely think it exists, uh, and we cannot explain it. And I find it super fascinating. Do the, we have time the, to
0: quickly go on to the witch thing? If you want to, yeah. Um one thing before that, before I wanna mention like the dreams slash premonition versus like are you then is the premonition you basically setting yourself up to do it?
1: It could be, but, um, does it, but it doesn't matter It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter.
0: But because there's, the reason I say that is because this one lady told a story here um, that she basically had this dream. She was a skydiver. She did, like, regularly skydived. And she had a dream that her parachute didn't come out and it was horrible and she was falling. Um, and then, anyway, she went skydiving and she reached a certain altitude. And they have two backpack things two two parachutes and when you hit a certain altitude your your emergency one automatically pops out mm. um and so then she she hit a certain altitude she she was like wasn't paying attention missed the altitude for sending her big parachute out mm. and then at the um oh no sorry her dream was that she had to cut one of her parachutes like cut her parachute because it, it like messed up and so basically It comes to a certain altitude and she basically released her big parachute at the exact same time that the other one automatically popped out. And Mm. it caused the top one, the big one, to malfunction. Which is she then ended up having to actually cut that one off, um, then used the little one to kind of like guide herself down, almost hit into some trees, which would have killed her on like a golf course and survived anyway. But it's like her whole point was like, is that a premonition for the future? Or is it that because I've dreamed it, I've then made it true? And it's like, but you're right, it doesn't matter if it it's right matter. or wrong. It doesn't matter, I don't think. It doesn't matter at all because it's happened. So yeah. it's like, then it's like, if it is a premonition, but um, yeah, that's just a little point about premonitions and witchiness. But you mentioned to me that you have done some herb courses and consider yourself a witch. Oh God. Um, herbology. It's... Herbology on, on, I used to play this game called RuneScape and it was like a, an online role-playing game with like, magicians and warriors and archers and all that type of stuff and um, there was a skill called herb law or herbology one of the two I can't remember and I used to love it yeah
1: I mean okay uh, I don't want to call myself an expert in herbs and the witch thing is also a joke it's funny like I do my little rituals but I don't uh, I
0: think but you don't, you don't ride around on a broomstick no I a don't hat. Um,
1: pointy, no, oh, pointy sorry. hat no, no. Um, I don't know. I feel like for me, like for example, ritual is something to really just get close to my body and like uh, close to the present moment and like be slow and intentional. And so, a lot of people are like branding it as witchcraft, but I think that uh, when you when you look at history as well, you see that like a lot of the women that were persecuted as witches were simply women that like were um, working on this more kind of spiritual side. They were working with herbs instead of medicine and all of that. And I find that really interesting. And it's interesting to kind of like reclaim the word, but I am definitely not an expert. I'm experimenting with herbs because I find it also a way of getting close to my own ancestry and, and do what, the women of Europe did rather than like have all these spiritual practices that are not from my own background because I feel that there's a lot of borrowing and appropriation from other cultures which is not necessarily wrong because you can earn a lot but it can be problematic and for me this is like a way of and also I just enjoy it Mm, there's so much joy in it like to find rosemary and then learn about the you know that rosemary means dew of the sea and that it grew in the sea and that people used it for this, this and that and and like to get into that history and then burn, you know, dry it and then burn it or make an oil with it. Like that's something that I genuinely, like my body enjoys it. And so I've put that element within my work as well because I think it's a really important sort of radical or like rebellious um, practice to just stop and slow down and mm. kind of um, make that, whatever you're doing, make it intentional Intentional, because we're, we live in a society that kind of wants to hurry us up all, all the time. Mm, and, I agree. and to slow down is like a really radical action that you can do and to take care of yourself and to look at the surrounding. And, and it's also a way to kind of see what's growing in your environment you know i'm a lot of the time i'm like don't buy sage and palo santo just like go to the forest and see what herbs there are and there's always herbs here in in barcelona it's like full of rosemary of lavender mm. so much and you can dry those and you can make your own bundle and then doing it obviously consciously and not that everyone's like eradicating rosemary from everywhere and like to to always be conscious and not greedy with this like obsession of like oh we have to take everything we can while we can it's not like that it like these beautiful plants exist and they grow and they keep growing and that's really cool but the work of herbs with herbs with local herbs and local concoctions like it just makes me so happy and it's also something that connects me to uh, a kind of like mystical Mm. something that like, because I know that other women do it and that they've done it. And, you know, it's really, I really love it. That's why with herbal teas, it's also really interesting. Because, like, plants do have properties and plants... They have really strong properties. Yeah.
0: Like, the first time I ever really paid any attention to that, because, like, you you heard it before and you think it's, like, oh, old wives' tales, like, bullshit sort of a thing. Like, this plant does that. And you're like, nah, it doesn't. Like, yeah, I was anyway. And then I went to... um went to Colombia, and I went to this fruit market there, and t- the guides taking around and, like, oh, this one's an aphrodisiac, this one, and they were all, like, I think I tried about 16 fruits I'd never tried before or even uh-huh. seen, um, like, this one's an aphrodisiac, this one makes you sleepy, this one um, makes you piss, this one stops you pissing, this one makes you shit, this one makes you stop shitting, like, okay. and all that, and, like, we're trying all the different fruits, and, I'd, like, I didn't t- pay much heed to it, but then... One thing I remember was that the, um, the call yeah, like the passion fruit, he was like, these make you sleepy, so don't eat them after about 5 o'clock. So then I, I Googled it afterwards, and it was like, yeah, they're somniferents, They have um, something in them that makes you sleepy. Um, and then I tried one that night, like a big massive one that you get over there. And the next morning, I was struggling to get out of bed. It was like I'd had a Valium. And now I carry on eating Passion fruit. when I need to get some good sleep. And it really works, because I went clean, like, three years ago, and I stopped everything. Like, I stopped caffeine, I stopped alcohol, drugs, sugar, um, everything. Um, And I haven't taken any tablets for, like, more than three years. And then I started noticing the effects of all the herbs when I was drinking herbal teas. Mm. You know, I started noticing, like, lavender would make me sleepy. I started noting that passion fruit would make me sleepy. It's mainly those ones that I go for. And then, like, I'm really sensitive to tea and caffeine and things like that, which I started again relatively recently. And I was like, wow, herbs are so cool. Like, they do have these really strong properties. But we just fill ourselves with so much junk that you can't notice any of it. Yeah. But really, they do. And like, if you purify yourself a little bit. And and then it kind of made me, I was looking at Stevia the other day, because like loads of um, like protein shakes and stuff add Stevia in them. And then I was reading that there's like controversy around Stevia because it's an antimicrobial and so it supposedly kills your gut bacteria and is like a, an antibiotic, basically. Mm. Um, so it's like you shouldn't really be having that all the time. It's amazing. Yeah, you have to really... And you have to be careful with You have them. to be
1: careful, knowledgeable and very also respectful to the herbs. And just, for example, when you're picking them, don't overpick or, you know, all of these things are really... And
0: they're really easy to grow. Because I grew,
1: like, some rosemary before, and I grew some... Rosemary t- is, like, invasive. Yeah, and so I grew some sweetie. mint it's and so some powerful, chili.
0: Um, but they're so, they're, like... Because they kind of are, like... They're kind of are weeds, really, aren't they? They just grow easily and, like, mm-hmm. abundantly. Um, but that is very cool. And you can
1: use them in so many... different. So this herbalist person... Herbalist. That I, herbalist. Um This That's woman, not, so not
0: not a ganja smoker. No, she was a, an actual. <laughs> she herbalist. was an
1: actual <laughs> like person that had studied herbs, and she, she said, you know what you can do? You can take one herb and then you can work with it in all the different ways. And the, there's like three main different ways: like water, alcohol, mm. and um and oil. Yeah. So you can either make infusions with it and you can make infusions in so many different ways. You can like get the herb and like put it in water and then put it in the sun and then that's one way of doing Mm -hmm. it and then you can um, do it as an infusion. You can do it as a, like first put it within the boiling water. Different herbs work different, like, or you can make a tincture with it. So you put alcohol in it and then you leave it for a few weeks and mm. then you can use the tincture as like kind of an extract of the herb's properties or you can do an oil with it and then that's like 28 days of the oil turning it every day in the moon like and so you make it also a ritualistic practice which is a, first of all I find this these things super beautiful mm. and I think that they're like really ways of embodying. So like what I write about I call them poetic antidotes, which is essentially like manifestations of like joy, art, and beauty in a context of political awareness. So I talk about like a certain topic, let's say beauty. How do we um, how do we look at beauty in this society? What do we think, et cetera, et cetera? How has it been co-opted? How has it affected me personally? How has it affected people? And then I, for every essay there's like a little ritual at the end where you can they're all very simple some just in you know some is like okay i if the one about rage is like shaking for three minutes and like i provide the song Mm. like i really do this like curated experience because i love the ritualistic part of it and i think it's like quite radical because it we we tend to absorb information in like such a fast way and I think it's really important to do it in a way that's slow and intentional. And, and I think that that's already like a political act that you can do. You know, you don't have to be a revolutionary read a thousand books and then go in the streets. Like you can really start with small embodied actions. And then that's a re- that really like rewire... I really do think that it kind of rewires you somehow. Yeah. So that's why...
0: No, I totally agree. And I think that like I read... I've read quite a few of your pieces and I read, um, the one I especially remember was the one about the, is it Donna di Fora? Ah, uh, yeah, that's that so
1: interesting. Donna di Fora, yeah. Donna
0: di Fora. Um, about the Sicilian witches. Um, was it Sicilian? Yeah. Yeah, Sicilian witches. And so I saw some of the rituals and I'm a big, I'm a, I am don't do that many of them, but I'm a big fan of the idea of a ritual. And I've done like four maybe in total. Um but I just think that, you know, like, it's kind of a bit funny when you're, like, lighting a candle and, like, all <laughs> these, like, incense thingies and, like, you know, you're kind of, like, splashing it around and rubbing it on your wrists and, like, yeah. writing things on paper and then burning it and all that type of stuff. It's, like, it's quite funny, but it is nice. Oh, it's Like, so I did it nice. with my I girlfriend and, um, just kind of sit there and then, but it is just a time just to focus on some, I suppose the act itself is not particularly important, like, what the actual act, no. the, the actions you're doing and not doesn't really make a difference you know but it's just that no. spending 30 minutes just focusing on something mm-hmm. you know that's just not related to any other thing in your life particularly it's not work it's not it's not necessarily work it's not necessarily pleasure it's just some little thing to kind of ground you um yeah completely and i th- i don't know i would i would encourage people to just try it even people who are like oh this sounds a bit woo woo for me like mm-hmm. it's just it's like it's just a nice little you know, similar to meditating, where you're just kind of like... It's like active meditation, I suppose, in some it's way. Like gardening can be a bit like ritual, garden. you know? But it's like, similarly as well, every so often my girlfriend's got some tarot cards, and every so often we use those. And it's like, obviously, back in the day, those were considered witchcraft and occult and all these things. Mm-hmm. And who knows? Maybe they are like weird, cursed cards. I don't know. But ultimately you're pulling out some random cards and then those random cards are making you think about random things. And that's a useful practice. You know, mm. just like what what thoughts are coming up from seeing this random little thing and those random little cards are based on symbology which in theory our brains are supposed to be able to recognize that symbology and those kind mm-hmm. of archetypes sometimes as something which should in theory generate certain types of responses so it's kind of like it's based on it's based on something it's not like someone's just put like I'm going to put a picture of a pine cone on this one and I'm going to put a picture of a banana on that one and I'm going to put a picture of a house on this one you know it's like they're they're actually curated Curated (laughs) in specific ways that our brains recognize these symbols so I think it's really cool doing those as well I would say that when I first started doing them, I was in a terrible frame of mind um, and they just caused me suffering. So I would just... The taros? The tarot, yeah, 100%. Because I was in such a negative frame of mind for like two years that that was when I like stopped all the drugs and everything. And I was... That then everything that came up would just be 100% negative. And it would be like...
1: I don't know if it's negative or positive, or maybe it's like dark and light.
0: Well, it's putting a negative spin on something. Mm. So like it'll bring up, it would bring up, um, you know, for example, let's say that the description of the card is like, you are going to have a change within your household. You know, it's like something like that. And that's what the card is supposed to symbolize. If you're in a good frame of mind, that'd be like, oh, wow, maybe I'm going to move house to a new place or maybe I'm going to get a new cat or something like that. Or like, do you know what I mean, some like maybe my atmosphere in my house is going to really change and I'm going to love it or we're going to do some spring cleaning or something like that. Whereas if you're in a negative frame of mind, it's like I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to die you know it's like
1: i don't know i think it tells you a story and in the end it's how you relate to it but yeah but but if, if you're, you're in, if you're in a terrible frame yeah, of mind it could be like it's delicate
0: then it's delicate and you're only seeing and then it's like that premonition thing it's like if you're then creating these ideas in your head and those ideas are really negative horrible consequences then it's like, are you pushing yourself towards those horrible consequences? Are you better off just leaving it? So that's just something I picked up and I stopped doing them for quite a while. But now when I do them, I I have, I'm pretty happy overall. So I get like, I'm able to kind of view things more objectively and be like, okay, there's areas to work on here. You know, maybe this is going to be something positive or like blah, blah, blah. You know, in that way and be more balanced about it. But yeah, that was one thing. It's kind of like... You know, people go to a medium typically when they've lost someone and it's like trying to kind of contact the dead. And it's like, is it that the best time to do it or not? And all these things, it's like, should you be entering to, into certain types of things when you're in terrible frames of mind? I don't know. I think it's just like, you, you, I think that with these type of things, you can open yourself up to overthinking things in a negative way.
1: Yeah, but I also think this is a way of overthinking about the situation in general. Like w- things just happen that, I mean, you had, you stopped, so I don't know. I, I wouldn't ask too many questions, like whether, I think people should trust themselves enough to know whether it's okay for them to do something like this or not. And I think the work that we need to do is more on like being in tune with our own mind and body and then we will just know what what is good for us in the moment and what is not, and maybe that's the work.
0: <laughs> that is the work. But that that's is the thing the that, work. like, when you're when you're in a terrible frame of mind, you're not in tune with your mind mm. and body, and I think that is the issue.
1: But the, yeah, yeah, for I mean, sure. But then you, I think that now, if you ever will get into a shitty situation or a negative situation or a bad state of mind you will know no, certain things. That, yeah. And so it's all part of the learning in the end. Like, it's all part of how how it goes. And and you you were in tune with your body because you stopped and you knew that you shouldn't do it. So you were in tune with yourself, even though you think you
0: <laughs> weren't. Well, it took a few months and, if, and it yeah, took a few, few times trying to yeah. realize, like, this is a terrible idea. Yeah,
1: but... It doesn't matter how yeah, yeah. how long it took. It it happened. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, okay, I think on that bombshell, um, the that, for the closing out of the episode, I always ask my guests for their words of wisdom. Oof. So, what are your words of wisdom?
1: Oh, that is, I don't know. I think I just said it. <laughs> Look inside. Uh, how was? I think it was Kendrick Lamar that I'm thinking of. But words of wisdom. Um, Be curious, um, be open, and be tender with yourself. I'll take that on board. Um, Thanks for those (laughs)
0: words of wisdom. And one final thing. I have a little present.
1: Oh, that's nice.
0: Well, you don't know what it is yet.
1: But... I loved the letter invitation. I find that so cool. You should continue doing that forever.
0: Oh yeah, that's my favorite part. You get a quest wisdom T-shirt. Yeah,
1: <laughs> thank you. Um, that's really nice.
0: Thank you so, so much. Yeah, thank you for having you. For Maybe. having me. Thank you. For, <laughs> thank you for having you. No, thank you for <laughs> thanks. Thank thank me for having me, and thank you for having you. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Um, and hopefully see you again soon.
1: Yes, thank Um, you so much.
0: So farewell for now, everybody. Goodbye. Farewell, farewell. Thank you for listening to the Quest for Wisdom podcast with your host, Connor Monaghan. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support the show, then please like it, subscribe, and leave a review on whichever platform you are using. This small act is a massive help and is hugely appreciated. You can find more information about all of our guests on thequestforwisdom.com and follow us at thequestforwisdom on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter for exciting updates. We also have a Patreon account for anyone who would like to contribute towards the running of the show. Finally, I would like to thank the Comedy Clubhouse in Barcelona for allowing us to record here and for their ongoing support. If you are ever in Barcelona, make sure to check it out for daily shows of comedy and performance art in English. Farewell for now.